Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Camera Podcast, pubs, pints, and people. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Camera Podcast, Pubs, Pints, People, where we chat about everything to do with beer, cider, and pubs. My name is Katie Wiles, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Aunt Fiorillo and Matt Bundy. Hello, guys. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. We've got a very special episode this week because we're going to be chatting all about American beers. Well, hey. Ooh, USA. <laughs> USA. USA. <laughs> That's right. I'll tell you what, it's going to be an extra special celebration this Independence Day, isn't it? Fourth of July, because I feel like the president in the movie Independence Day, you know, when he's sitting up on the podium and he's saying, right now, Fourth of July will be forever known as our pubs back open day. 106 days dry. Well, we've actually got a very special treat for our listeners to celebrate the pubs opening on the 4th and of course tie into that Independence Day theme. I had a chance this week to speak with Andrew and Tyler from the Pop culture brews podcast so they're both based in denver colorado and they do this really cool podcast where they basically talk about different pop culture references like harry potter or spinal tap and then they brew a beer that they think matches that pop culture reference and talk about it andrew is a brit who's been living in america for about a decade and so we feel like we kind of swap places and had a really good chat about the american and british beer scene so we're going to release that as a little treat on the fourth oh a little brucey bonus i like that <laughs> and you know all of those 11 percent imperial stouts with ice cream scooped mm. in them or a lemon drop ipa just you know sound absolutely pucker for me <laughs> you know we didn't have space to add it in this week's episode but if you do want to tune in and hear katie bang on a bit more about how great american brews are with the pop culture brew folks then do tune in on the 4th of july remember it's wherever you get your podcasts from it's a special one-off interview with the pair it's a strange time to do a podcast about pubs and mm. it's been an even stranger time for all of the people in our industry and absolutely unprecedented it almost feels like we've been living on a different planet take away our pubs from us and it becomes a, a very different country I think. Canberra has been doing a monumental amount of campaigning of different activities across the 106 days when pubs have been closed. The important thing to note is obviously that pubs might be opening on the 4th but we're not as we talked about last week going to see everything bounce back to normal so we're still going to need to continue to do a lot of the things that have been in place because it's going to be an uphill battle. It's more important than ever to join the campaign and to join Canberra so if you're not already a member your membership really helps the industry it's as simple as that. So join up, sign up, 
All the details can be found on the camera website, camera.org.uk. And if you are a member, help us get more people involved in the campaign. We've got some new membership marketing materials, these great posters that really drill to home that message that by joining Camera, you're helping to save pubs, which you can order directly and put up in your window or in the pub's windows, just to remind people that Camera is there and to help support us so that we can support pubs and breweries. And as always, make sure you follow us on the new Twitter feed, at Pubs Bites People. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate review all of the fun things <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts indeed and last week we were talking all about what pubs have been doing to keep going in the lockdown and we asked people to tweet in to email us in with their stories about what their locals have been doing and we received a phenomenal response to be honest there were so many lovely stories and i'll just pick out one and it's from matthew lum who is a regular listener in stockwell london hello to you matthew and he gives a shout out to his local the priory arms and they've been delivering fresh beer by bike to all the lucky people living nearby, which is fantastic. To tell you what, don't need any newfangled technology. Just go around a, a bike and some ice. And you don't so need you... that milk float. <laughs> you, you don't need it. Go around there. So he sends a salute to Tom, Dan, and the rest of the team there. Now, I've actually, funnily enough, I've been to that pub and, and I follow the Priory Arms on Twitter. And I know the same team own the Grosvenor Arms, which is just down the road. And they are both fantastic pubs. And I've seen them posting up pictures of handwritten notes on bottles, kind of a little oh, personalised touch. Nice. To each of the bottles that go out there and offering a wide range of fantastic brews. He's also said to me a little bit of a strange thing. Apparently he's quite obsessed with the way that I say beer in our jingle for Desert Island Beer. He's actually inspired to kind of make like a, a weird kind of Dan Straight rap remix of it. <laughs> oh my god. Please tell me we've got that to play. We do. <laughs> we oh. Desert Island Beer. Desert Island Beer. Desert Island Beer. Dear, 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 dear. I mean, that is absolutely wicked. That is just... It's something else, Matt. It's something that is else. amazing. He said he spent five whole minutes putting that together. That Brilliant. Was, <laughs> he should all of our other jingles for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is a ringtone right there, is it not? My mum, whenever I speak to her, she's like my number one fan on this podcast, who, <laughs> whose mum isn't. Oh. But she, um, she's always like, oh, Katie's going to learn and read today, because she likes that learn and discover jingle, but can never get it right. Learn and read, that is. <laughs> Katie's learning today. That sounds like primary school, a little bit. Learn and read section. Yeah. Yeah. But she also, funnily enough, she doesn't understand podcasts, so she tells all of her friends that I do TED Talks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a bit different. (laughs) So there's like a group of women in Massachusetts who just have this like really overinflated perspective of what I do for my job. (laughs) (laughs) Right, I think we've had enough banter us here. Let's crack on with the interviews, shall we? Our man from up north, Adam Taylor, has taken on both interviews this week, and he sat down with Lottie Peplow, who is, get this, the craft beer ambassador for Europe for the Brewers Association of America. That's to hear all about American craft beer and the market over there. Now, Lottie also trains people on pairing beer with food, so we'll treat us to a few ideas on some easy beer and food pairing. No cooking is even required. That is the kind of cooking that I like. (laughs) Just some cheese, cured meat to go with your favourite brew this summer. Indeed, and later Adam's also going to be chatting with Tom Fozzard from Rooster's Brewery, uh, which draws a lot of influence from American beer styles and has done since they launched their signature Yankee Brew, which I love, and they launched that 30 years ago. (laughs) Without further ado, let's hand over to Adam and Lottie to learn a bit about American beer. Learn and discover. 
Hi Lottie, thank you very much for joining us. Can you kick us off by chatting to us about the Brewers Association and what your role in it is? So the Brewers Association is a trade association representing the small and independent American craft beer and it's based in Boulder in Colorado in America. It's a membership association and it has 5,500 brewery members and 46,000 home brewing members. So it's all about representing the interests of the small and independent American beer. And we do this through things like educating beer drinkers and the beer industry about how to understand and champion American craft beer. And that's through like events like Great American Beer Festival or Craft Brewers Conference or publishing resources and magazines. And we do an awful lot of advocating on behalf of brewers for legislative changes, lobbying and um, advocacy at congressional level. A bit like CBA would do here, I guess. Mm. All that kind of stuff. I am the craft beer ambassador for Europe, based here in the UK. I'm actually here in London in my house. And my role is to identify opportunities for international expansion of American craft beer. And that's through educating trade and media and beer drinkers about the quality and innovation and the diversity of beer styles on offer by American craft brewers. And I help to create opportunities for American craft beer to be promoted in different key international markets in Europe. Can you give us a brief overview of what the American beer scene's like at the moment? What kind of styles are popular? Well, recently produced the industry figures for last year for the American brewing industry, and it reported growth of just under 4%. Mm. So that's a lot of beer, and it's about 13.6% volume and over... 25% in value of the American beer market. And it's set against the backdrop of a beer market that was down about 2% in volume. So that's still pretty good. That was 2019. Obviously, 2020 is going to be quite a lot different for obvious reasons. But in terms of styles, what we're seeing at the moment is IPAs still reigning supreme, as they have done for a number of years. They account for about one third of all craft beer sales in America. They come in every single iteration under the sun. You can get them from 4% or under, right through to 12% and over. They come in red, white, black IPAs, sour IPAs, breaded, spiced, fruited, vegetable, barrel-aged. I mean, you name it, there is an IPA for it in America. So that is not going away anytime soon. That style is really, really popular. The other styles that we're seeing growth in are the lighter and more sessionable styles, such as Blondale or American Lager or Kolsch or Golden Ale. And this is happening for two reasons, basically. There are two strands of consumer, the, the older people that have been in the, in the craft beer world since its inception about you know, 40 years ago. These people are ageing now. They're looking for styles that are slightly more sessionable and slightly lighter, that they will be able to have more than they would do a stronger style. Other people they're popular with, there's the younger sector of the market who might be coming into craft beer for the first time, having only drunk mass-produced international light lager. So they need a kind of a lighter style to transfer to the craft beer world. I just want to talk a bit about the relationship between the US and the UK, because it's almost like a full circle, almost kind of following each other, if you like. The American beer industry is only about 40 years old, so it's really quite young. And back in about 1980, the American brewers at the time, they were mainly home brewers. They were influenced by the UK. People like Duggardale from Adele Brewing, Ken Grossman of Nevada, uh, Deschutes and New Belgium. And these people saw what was happening in the UK with our IPAs and basically copied them. And in true American fashion, they put their own twist on them and they introduced new flavours and made them bigger and bolder and brasher. 
And what really changed the whole craft beer scene over in America was the introduction of the Cascade Hop in 1971. And this mm. was really was quite a landmark because it had this incredible hop forward, very fruity, very complex, very full flavour character that nobody would ever really come across before. And so the UK was like, well, hang on, we've got to start using those American full flavoured hops as well. So the UK then followed what the US was doing. The US having originally followed what the UK was doing. So we, we're kind of going in a bit of a full circle, which is interesting. And I'm not quite sure where we'll go after this. So how long do you think it takes for an American beer style to kind of catch on over here, do you think? Not that long. I think the gap between the UK and the US is closing massively. I mean, it used to be that the US was many years ahead of the UK. I think that gap has now very much closed. So it's a great time to be a beer drinker, that's for sure. We're all very, very lucky to be drinking some amazing beer that's been produced around the world. And uh, long may it continue, I say. So how does the Brewers Association go about defining a style? They have a, a whole panel of experts that are regularly meeting and tasting them and discussing them. And they have feedback from judges from the Great American Beer Festival and the World Beer Cup. The judges can feedback what they think about styles and then the panel will write the guideline according to best examples of the style that they're tasting. They're a very helpful tool for any brewer, any brewer that wants to really nail that style on the head. Are there any particular breweries we should be looking out for over here? I think the, probably the most ubiquitous and easiest to find and more readily available is Sierra Nevada which is an absolute classic. And there's also a California IPA, which is lighter style. It's only 4%. That one is really easy to find. And then there's a whole raft of other beers. Cigar City make a really good um, IPA called High Ally and a really good brown ale called Maduro. That one's available. Firestone Walk makes some great lagers and great IPAs. You've got Foolproof making a really good porter and IPA. You've got Tailgate with its much-loved peanut butter milk stout that's here in the UK. Uh, Harpoon, that's another one that's more available in the on-trade. Obviously, we can't get that at the moment. I'd say about 25 to 30 American craft brewers operating here in the UK. When I say craft brewers, the Brewers Association has a very specific definition. So only brewers meeting that particular criteria are included in the 25, 30 that I'm talking about. So they have to be small, producing less than 6 million barrels, and they have to be independent, only 25% owned by something that is not in itself a craft brewer, and they have to have a license. So there is a very set definition as to what makes a craft brewery. Often quite a few of these breweries come to the Great British Beer Festival. We're gutted it's not happening this year. Absolutely mm. gutted. Yeah. Same as most people on your show, I should think. We hope we'll be back again in force next year. And in fact, that's what inspired the Great American Beer Festival nearly 40 years ago, because a chap called Charlie Papazian, who was the founder of the Brewers Association, he and the late, great Michael Jackson came over to the British Beer Festival in, I think it was about the early 1970s. And they were so inspired by the festival. They shared this vision of doing something similar in the United States. So Charlie went back to Boulder and he set about setting up his own great American beer festival, which I can't remember exactly how many brewers first came to the to the very first one. But that's how really how it all started. A lot of people are going to be experimenting with different beers and maybe trying to find food to match it with at home. Is there any particular beers that you think would go well with a particular food? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is a fantastic time to experiment with uh, beer and food matching. You don't even have to cook anything. You could just 
buying a load of interesting looking cheese and a load of beers and do your own little beer and food matching at home or, or just cold meats, charcuterie, those sort of things go brilliantly with beer. And you don't have to do anything. You know, you don't have to be a fantastic cook or follow some complicated recipe. You just taste what you like. It's all about personal preference. But there's a couple of things to do. Always match intensity with intensity. So if you've got a really light soft cheese, you don't, don't want to be putting that with a barley wine or an imperial stout. Mm. So you've got to think of beer as the ingredient because it's, it's adding flavour. So if you've got a lovely piece of fish, what would you do? You'd put a little spritz of lemon on it, wouldn't you? Mm. Instead of doing that lemon, you could have a nice sour tart lemony beer and that would be absolutely perfect start with cheese because so much of it out there and there's so many beers and it's easy start with a light creamy goat's cheese or a mild brie and that goes really well with lagers gold nails or colches and then cheddar i mean look how obvious is that that's the most british of cheeses it's absolutely fantastic with a really fruity west coast style american ipa and then another really good one is you've got the nutty cheeses like Gruyere or Gouda, aged Gouda, you know, Emmental, Manchego. They're kind of quite nutty and earthy and they go so well with a brown ale, porter or an amber ale. So you've got this kind of nutty, caramelly, toffee notes in the beer and they match so beautifully with a dry, hard, you know, nutty type of cheese like a Gruyere. There's a fantastic brown ale called Maduro from Cigar City you can get here. And a really good couple of porters, one from Port City and one from a foolproof rain cloud porter. They're spot on for good, nice, hard, nutty cheese. And then, of course, the blue cheese world. That is the strongest of the strong. So you want the strongest salty cheese like Rockford, for example, or Stilton. You can pair that with your big, bold, ballsy barley wine or imperial stout or doppelbock. And mm. that'll be absolutely gorgeous. Something like a, a Rockford is very salty cheese. But if you match it with something like an imperial stout that's got a lot of chocolate character and caramel and dark malt, that's got quite a lot of sweetness in it. So then you're getting the contrast of flavours. You've got the salty on one side from the cheese and then you've got the sweet on the other side from the beer. And that's a really lovely combination. What you're always trying to do as well is match beer and food using the three C's, which is cutting, contrasting and complementing. So cutting is when the, the beer lifts the fat off your palate and cuts through the high fat content. And you really get that feeling. And it's the bubbles in beer which are going to give you that real palate cleansing, refreshing sensation. So then you're ready for the next mouthful. And that's what beer does so brilliantly. And then it could complement. So I would say the, the brown ale or the porter's complementing the Gruyere and the Emmental. That's a really good complimentary note and then it can contrast so you like i say you've got the salty rockford and the strong stilton contrasting with a sweet imperial stout like there's some oscar blues 10 fiddy kicking around in the uk at the moment or there's some new holland dragon's milk both amazing beers and they would go brilliantly with cheese so it's just slightly thinking outside the box as well if you could have one food and beer pairing for the rest of your life what would you pick only one. Ooh, that is a difficult question wow I might cheat a little bit, actually. I'm going with something like a, a meatballs in tomato sauce with a porter. Because a porter that's full of umami notes, that's very savoury, and it maybe has a bit of a tobacco-y, roasty note. Less chocolatey, coffee-ish, but more umami. And that would complement beautifully meatballs made with prosciutto or parmesan or porcini mushrooms or some really, really strong flavours in a bit of tomato sauce. So I think that would be one. But then I might have to just sneak in a bit of super strong mature cheddar cheese as well. <laughs> That's fine. You that can have it to go, go with the meatballs. Yeah, exactly. But then I'd have to sneak in um, an IPA so that I could have IPA mm. with my cheese too. It's cheating slightly, but 
that would they would keep, make me very happy for a long long time is there any ipa in particular that you'd pick yes there's several cigar city highlights beautiful the mm. sierra nevada pale ale several from fast and walker the, the luponic distortion series is mm. very very nice possibly not here in the uk but virginia beer company freeverse is beautiful Ohapu ipa so yeah it's quite a good selection here in the uk that are great fruity well-balanced classically made very very good IPAs. Thank you very much for your time Lottie. I'm going to go and uh, get some cheese for that beer I've been keeping in my cupboard. Very good idea Adam. Enjoy it. Learn and discover. Oh I mean who else is absolutely starving after that chat? <laughs> I need to go and get I mean... cheese board stet. 10 cc's, 10 cc's of Stilton stet. That's, that's it just uh, that's it and a butcher's block of cured meat. <laughs> it's a really good idea though isn't it i mean lots of doing a beer and meat and cheese pairing you know i guess pairing beer with food in the same way that you more often do with wine is a really great way to spice up drinks of an evening mm. well it's actually quite traditionally if you think of the way that the spanish do tapas that is exactly the same concept the idea was tapas is something to nibble on while you have a drink they were originally just crackers to put over the, the top of a wine glass to stop flies getting in there but that obviously evolved yeah. and and now you're getting a bit of a nibble with something to drink and who doesn't love that I mean, the American beer market's really good at pairing beer with food, and it's actually helped elevate the drinking of beer to the status of wine in a lot of circles. So one of my favourite brew pubs back home, I'm going to give a shout out to the Cape Ann Brewery in Gloucester, Massachusetts. They have their menu, and for each meal, they offer a beer suggestion to pair with it. And I've seen that once in England, and that's at Brew House and Kitchen, which I really like. And the one in Milton Keene, the restaurant area, is actually set around the brewery, so you can literally watch them make beer, smell all those lovely beery aromas and then you've got a list of all the food and what beer you should pair with it so it's a really fun way of going out yeah. for food we've got one of those in bedford as well and it's wonderful and you can have experience days as well there and go and get yourself some hands and experience brewing the beer and the other thing that has had me salivating was all of those different types of ipas mm. lottie listed over there i mean they sound amazing and quite frankly what's our <laughs> little ipa list to shame in the uk i didn't realize actually how central ipas were there but I do remember many, many years ago going to San Francisco and going to a craft ale bar there and every beer that I ordered was a real IPA hit you between the eyes, like huge, <laughs> choppy flavour. When I talk to pop culture brews, they talk about how brewing in the UK and Europe is so enmeshed in those traditions in Germany and then, you know, real ale styles here. But then in America, it's all about doing something different and making it their own. So it's, it's all about pushing the boundaries. We've got another recipe from mm. Sue. This week, we're featuring beer a little closer to home. Now, Sue's made a hunter's chicken and chestnut pie. Love that already. Uh, <laughs> and she describes how, due to lockdown, her beer cellar was running low. She sent her other half to pick out a range of brews from Hunter's Brewery in Devon. I love what she wrote here because I think we can all relate to this. She says about how when she carefully opened the unshaken bottle, it spurted all over the kitchen floor. So the glass she poured was less of an amber nectar and more the colour of our famous Devon mud from the brewery (laughs) farmyard. (laughs) But apparently the flavour and the taste was all there and she was very happy with it. So have a look on our show notes and what's brewing to get that recipe. Let's get on to our next interview with Adam and he's sitting down with Tom Fozard of Roosters Brewery. Let's head over for Desert Island Beer! (laughs) (laughs) Desert Island Beer! 
Hi, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Can you just kick us off by giving us a brief history of the influence of American beer on Roosters Brewery? Roosters is widely regarded as being one of the first breweries, if not the first brewery in the UK to start brewing monster beers with modern US hops when the brewery was founded in early 1993 by Sean Franklin. And basically his background was he'd been a brewer in the 80s, having studied winemaking in France in the 70s and moving back to the UK. He struggled to find work within the wine industry because back then there wasn't much of a wine industry in the UK. And he basically had an epiphany one moment. He was drinking a beer and started to really sort of question, deconstruct some of the flavour profiles that were going on and delved into what was creating some of the sort of fruity characteristics. And eventually he began studying hops and realising the similarity between hops and grapes, which he was very familiar with, obviously, how a winemaker would dial into to the different sort of characteristics that grapes can impart on different styles of wine. Sean started doing some research and, and realised that there was a brewery in California that was really starting to sort of do things a bit differently and, and turn heads, and that was Sierra Nevada brewing their pale ale. So he started to pick up on the fact that US hops offer loads of more intense characteristics than the sort of traditional hedgerow um, varieties that you get in the UK. So he really started picking up on what US hops could really kind of offer when sort of layered on a, on a delicate kind of malt base. And from there, he basically started working directly and visiting farms in the US and getting hops imported into the UK that he was brewing with when no one else was really even thinking about that, let alone putting it into practice. And Yankee being our flagship pale ale and has been since the foundation of the brewery basically demonstrates that it was the first beer to be brewed using US Cascade uh, nearly 30 years ago now. And it's something you've continued on into the modern era as well, isn't it? Sean basically owned the brewery up until my family, me, my brother and my dad, bought the business off him in 2011 when he reached retirement age and wanted to step back it was always an emphasis on experimentation new world hops in particular it doesn't stop roosters using uk ingredients and uk hops but the focus of the entire brewery was always been from that starting point that sean set out on all those years ago so it's predominantly hops from the us but you've got hops from new zealand australia even some hops newer sort of varieties coming out of slovenia as well in europe when we took over that was very much what roosters was all about and we've kept that ethos running absolutely through the core of what we do because obviously your your baby-faced assassin is uh, still a massively popular beer as well isn't it in cask um, yankee's kind of our flagship best-selling beer it sells well in cans as well but baby-faced assassin we launched it might have been 2013. It got added to our core range initially in cask, and then it's developed and, and gone into can and keg as well. It's our best-selling export beer. We sell most of our baby-faced assassin kegs actually goes to Italy, and it's comfortably our best-selling beer in cans. It's a West Coast-style IPA that is 100% citra hops, so it's exactly that. You know, It's a modern US hop being used on its own just to sh- really showcase what that hop's about. For a little bit of context for the listeners, we are still in, in lockdown currently. Do you think that will affect how breweries brew going forward and uh, hops going to be more difficult to come by the US varieties, do you think? Our day-to-day focus has shifted a little bit mostly born out of having our own canning line and our our packaging demands going 100% onto canning and we've been we have a, a house yeast strain that we crop every week and reuse so that's been the biggest struggle for us is trying to keep on top of making sure that our yeast is still thriving and, and there for us to use but in terms of thinking about hops I'd not actually stopped to think about that my brother's our head brewer so he's the one who would probably have a closer eye on that sort of stuff I don't know what it's like over there actually I don't know what it's like even over here in terms of 
those the farms are at the mercy of the weather more than anything else. But I assume with it being an open outdoor uh, working environment, they've been able to keep on top of of making sure that the harvest will be ready. Maybe we'll see a, an effect or a pinch a little bit further down the line as a result. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. And I'm guessing the, the lockdown will have a, an effect in, in general because the the influence of American style on, on British brewing seems to happen so quickly. But with less beers being imported over here, I'm guessing it will slow down a little bit more. I wouldn't necessarily expect a, a massive shift to kind of occur anytime soon. We've basically had to stop and adapt. Like lots of other breweries, we've had to sort of react and adapt to what's gone on because it all happened in a very quick and short space of time, pubs being closed and how we've had to basically fight to survive, to keep the lights on, to make sure that we can come out of this at the other end when, when pubs are eventually allowed to open. Away from the American influence, I mean, hopefully one thing everyone's just going to be craving is cask beer at the end of it. You know, as much as we are, you know, that one thing that you can't beat is, is a particularly well-brewed, well-kept, well-served pint of cask. And I think a lot of people will be absolutely falling over themselves to get, get hold of that regardless of the style of beer, as long as it's appropriate to be put in a cast to start with. Drinkability is at the, the forefront of how we approach beer. And, you know, it stems from Sean's winemaking background. You know, we, we want balance in our beers. We want that drinkability. Bitterness is, is considered, but it's, we don't go chasing it. You know, we, we want it mm. to be there and form part of that kind of overall balanced experience. Mm. Um, but one thing we've been able to do is every now and then we rack up a, uh, a cask and then have a nice pint of cask through a properly sparkled, you know, hand pump on a Friday mm. lunchtime. With the influence of American beer on British beer, at what point when you start trying a, a new style that you haven't tried before, would the brewery start to brew that style? That's an interesting question. Yeah, I mean, we have fairly regular meetings in terms of in terms of product development, and we've got different things to consider because we've got the cask side of the business. You know, like I touched on a second ago, we have to step back and look at what we deem to be appropriate to go into cask. And there's certain styles that obviously we feel just we wouldn't put anywhere near cask. So that's probably the first consideration. Then we want to look at what's available to us. What kind of creative process are we going through? What's influencing us? What's piquing our interests? And, and we kind of mix all that together. It's a kind of a combination between me, our head of sales, and the couple of lead people on the brewing side. We kind of create a melting pot of ideas. And then it's down to what we think is most appropriate for us to brew, hopefully, it's that combination of finding a winning formula. We're stuck in a situation where there's a lot of demand on people wanting new all the time. I mm. want something new and different. It's it's trying to find that balance between establishing a brand and, and offering beers or styles that people can come to sort of hang their hat on and depend on. And they know that they're always going to be available, but then equally satisfying the curiosity of the other end of the market and satisfying our own creative needs that we want to sort of scratch that itch. So we kind of sit down and try and approach it that way. Can you tell me a bit about your collaborations? I'll start with Odell as an example. I think it was possibly the first collaboration Roosters had done. And the, the way it came about, I mean, I am an absolute Odell fanboy and have been since I used to work in a specialist bottle shop before mm. working at Roosters. We got the opportunity during the transition period when we were undertaking due diligence on the purchase of the brewery. Uh, myself and my brother worked with Sean for about a seven month period. During that process, Doug O'Dell got in touch and every five or so years when an employee has worked for at O'Dell Brewery, because Doug's a massive fan of, of European beer and British beer in particular, he treats that employee to a week trip to Europe. Come and look at what's inspired us. Come and look at what why we do what we do. We do this because they've inspired us to do it. 
and he contacted Roosters in middle of, I think it was like August or September in 2011, and basically just wanted to come and have a look around. We showed them around. Roosters was cask only at the time, but the only beers we had we could give them to take away was we'd done a trial of Babyface Assassin. It was the first time it had been brewed other than on a home brewer's level, and we had some bottles that were just about finished um, conditioning. So we gave some bottles to them. And then what was really nice, about six months later, he just emailed us out of the blue and basically said, I really enjoyed hanging out with you guys. I admire your passion for what you do. And I really admire Rooster's beers. So can I come over and collaborate with you? So he did. I think that was in the summer of 2012. So Doug came over. We brewed this beer together. It was the first beer that Rooster's has ever dry hopped. And he he taught us things in terms of hopping or in terms of approaching a malt on on this particular IPA. He's come back over since and we brewed with him. And I'm fortunate. I've struck up a friendship with the guy that I was sat next to at dinner that night. And me and my wife have been to stay with him and his wife a couple of times. And there's a really nice friendship around that. And that's kind of what our collaborations, whenever we do collaborate, it's purely built out of mutual respect and and friendships that we've formed along the way. Yeah, I like the fact that Odell was number one. That's great. And there must have been some moment where you gave Doug that first baby-faced assassin trial run. We gave them a few bottles because they were like sort of 750ml bottles. Didn't, I think they even had a label on them or anything. I can't remember exactly, but we gave it to them. And then it turns out they were staying in the town that night and they basically said, let's go and find a restaurant. You can come to dinner with us. And so we had our dinner and then unbeknown to me and my brother, they basically brought this beer out and Doug poured it out for everyone, These however many bottles there were between about 20 of us, and sat and critiqued this beer that were 12 months ago was a homebrew in my bathroom and basically loved it really really said very nice things about it it, it was a really nice experience for, for me to kind of to enjoy and what was particularly nice is adam later told me that doug's approach to making ipas he doesn't really like single hop ipas he always likes to be the person blending and and creating his own own mix of things and with babyface being 100 percent citrus single hop ipa mm-hmm. for him to sit there and wax lyrical about it like he did was was nice are there any current American brews that you want to give a shout out? We brewed a couple of collaborations very shortly before lockdown. The two breweries that we brewed with, uh, one in particular is um, a brewery called Green Cheek. Uh, they're based in Orange County in California. And it's two friends who set the business up about three or four years ago. Evan is one of the best brewers I've ever come across. We actually collaborated over in the States last year. And Evan was desperate to replicate YPA, our Yorkshire Pale Ale. When Evan's been over here, he's absolutely fall in love with that beer so ultimately he basically just turned around and said look i just want to brew that beer i want to replicate it for a californian audience you're never going to see their beer in the uk other than they come over for like cloud water festivals and things like that their 100 percent focus is is supplying locally within their little corner of california and then the other one we brewed with recently was uh, bagby beer co who are based a bit further down the coast in california in oceanside mm. their reputation just precedes them as well but again they're probably a brewery that you need to go and be in california if you're going to enjoy drinking their beers so i mean that's the one thing i'm itching to do is is be able to travel when it's safe and appropriate to do so but it will be definitely be focused around hanging out with those guys and hopefully coming up with some new ideas finally would you like to tell us what your desert island beer is it won't come as a surprise to many people who know me but odell ipa every Mm. day of the week it's a beer that like i say when i first saw a bottle on the shelf probably back in maybe 2010 when i was working at beer it's the artwork it just oozes class as a, as a product on a shelf and, and i got it home in and amongst loads of other american beers that we had in and it was my first try of it and it just blew me away it didn't disappoint it's a it's an incredibly complex ipa it's it's so consistently brewed it's you know it's got a real nice punchy hoppiness but it's got a really good strong multi backbone to it within that style and everything that wraps it up the, the packaging and the, and the people behind it, it is every day of the week i i, I could drown in that beer Desert Island Beer.
Fantastic. Well, I love Tom's Desert Island beer response. I think it's the most enthusiastic so far. He says, I could drown in that beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting approach to being when, you, when you've just been saved from a shipwreck to immediately well, want to drown in beer yeah. instead of the sea. But it's a, it could work. I'm actually really surprised that they've been brewing with American hops for 30 years now. When Lottie mentioned the American craft beer scene is only about 40 years old. So they were straight off the mark there, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, definitely. I liked what he was saying as well about how people always want something new from craft beer and I think that's kind of the essence is it not and to see mm-hmm. it pushing the boundaries I was saying about how everyone will be gagging for some cask <laughs> beer at the end of lockdown I mean it's going to be a big hit down at the locals next week that's for sure so now it's time to dive into the archive and this week I have found a great little clip from January 1980s What's Brewing entitled Anchors Away which reports that a tiny San Francisco brewery has brewed a beer that I quote has taste uses only malted barley and is not served at subarctic temperatures have either of you guys had anchor beer do you know what i think i have tried it you know it's i don't really know when <laughs> i have i love it it's one of the few american beers that have actually made their way over here and they've got a lovely stout that they do this article here is like the very start, isn't it, of craft beer mm. in the US, basically. And it reads here, the United States provides a major problem for the visiting British beer drinker. The bars cater for the average American drinker who has been brainwashed into believing that beer should be <laughs> ice cold, gassy and tasteless. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Got another bit here, it says there are signs that the American beer palate is awakening to a thing called taste. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it says that um, apparently Anchor Brewery is attracting more followers in california yes the owner fritz maytag says he wanted to produce something between a good german lager and an english ale to cater for the small number of people who find that american beer a little bit boring he says he sees his success as part of a small scale customers revolt against the ultralight beers that dominate the market i mean these articles were pretty powerful back in the day weren't they so much <laughs> they didn't censorship words. these days he didn't did he not at all <laughs> i really love in this article that the owner he rates timothy taylor as the best bottled beer he has ever tasted which pretty much everyone who comes on desert island beer mentions timmy taylor landlord so we're actually going to have them on the show in a few weeks because how can we not so yeah. yeah we'll hear from them directly about landlord and all their other beers and i think on that note it's time for last orders last orders now, before we get started, there's one more thing I reckon we should mention here, and that is the British Podcast Awards 2020, right? Mm. Some of you will be aware of this, some of you won't be. Now, while our humble podcast hasn't been at it very long, what's clear to see is that we've got you lovely lot listening to it, and there's a whole team behind Matt Katie and I that get involved from doing the field interviews right down to the editing. And we really enjoy reading the reviews that you leave and are always keen to share your stories that come in through Twitter. So what I'd really love is for you to give us and the team a little nod at the awards this year it's really simple this is definitely a shameless plug and all you need to do is head over to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote follow the steps from there the podcast is called pubs pint people but you already knew that and of course voting is free and closes on the 6th of july right so there's not much time so ping that link around your support bubble we'll put that link in the show notes so that you can't forget to vote for us definitely not <laughs> so with that plug it's his last orders wowzy what have you got in your glass this week well i don't actually have this beer in front of me but given the american theme i wanted to give a shout out to one of my favorite beers in the u.s that despite nearly a decade of living in the uk i've yet to find an equipment 
equivalent for. This beer is called Shipyard's Pumpkinhead. It's not particularly crafty or hard to find. It is everywhere in Boston, especially around fall. Sorry, autumn. (laughs) (laughs) And it's this gorgeous spicy wheat beer with pumpkin hints. And it's served, get this, in an ice cold glass. It has to be totally frosted and rimmed with cinnamon and sugar. It is amazing. So that's the beer I dream about (laughs) and order (laughs) when I go home. So I feel like for the American episode, I just need to mention that. (laughs) Definitely. Well, this week... I can't say I've got anything as close to that. Uh, So I've been helping a pal of mine out who's in the process of renovating a house. And lo and behold, when I returned home, I was greeted with not one, not two, but an entire case of Moreland's Old Speckled Hen. Mm. It's a standard all-rounder for me, that drink. I've had it in bottles, tins, and even those five-litre kegs. So I've just sucked through that this week and really enjoyed it. So how about you, Matt? Well, I've got some things on order, actually, from Howling Hops for all the alliteration fans out there. I was actually drawn in by I saw some pictures of it on, on the old social media with somebody, one of their amazing cans. I thought they were incredible designs. So I wanted to get my hands on their Wind and Sea Surf Club, but it was out of stock went out on there. Mm. So if anybody's listening from Howling Hops, tell me when it's back in. Got coming in just later today, it says, on on the courier delivery. Mm. I'm going to be enjoying some of their pinball. Did you ever get your Bernard Castle? No, it still hasn't come yet. It's still. It, I, I've got. I got the note from Brewdog this week saying that they're doing the the next batch and it'll be it'll be coming in. I mean, to be honest, the joke is a little bit old now, but the, <laughs> yeah. but but the beer the beer will be nice, I'm sure. And next week we're going to be learning a bit about eco brewing, and we're going to be chatting with Far Brew Impurity about the measures that they've put in place to try and make their brews as eco friendly as possible. And don't forget to tune in for that special footnote episode on the fourth of July, where you can hear all about the. US and UK beer market with myself and Pop Culture Brews. And please, please, please send us your back to the pub selfies on the 4th of July, folks. <laughs> Get on that Twitter feed. Whilst you're voting for us. <laughs> yes, the, the uh, awards. of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, Matt, are you going to close us with a quote? I am. And I've gone with, it's the US episode, so I've gone with US President Benjamin Franklin. US presidents have actually been a pretty strong source of beer quotes uh, during the podcast. (laughs) Not the current one. (laughs) No, not the current one. The current one doesn't drink beer, which is another reason not to trust him. (laughs) That's that's true. Uh, But Benjamin Franklin said, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. (laughs) Amen, Benji. Amen. Cheers. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free courtesy of our pals at Beer52 by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52 and covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Durges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia, Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to wwwbeer 52 that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now. 